This call may be recorded or transcribed. Good morning, Robbie. Morning, honey. How are you doing? Doing good. Uh, lots of nice things happening. Um, lots of interesting stuff that I've been learning. Uh, we may or may uh-huh. not end up publishing this podcast, but I figure we should record it just in case. Sure. How are you doing? Uh, I think I'm doing well. I'm, uh, um, I mean, I usually feel, you know, I, I was using that on the app. I, I sent you a link to uh, kind of track my emotional state. And ah. uh, every, every time I recorded it, at least, they, they have four quadrants, high or low energy, positive or negative. And uh, there's always high energy, positive. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it means I've, I've probably done tuned out of a lot of things, but. Anyway, that's my conscious state. All right. I've also uh, been uh, just uh, finding some bio um, microbiome research that talks about specific bacteria that help to improve uh, the mental condition and various other health issues. And uh, I, uh, just as I think about that, I think I probably have a pretty strong microbiome, but we're also doing things to... Uh, improve that and uh, so that's uh, on a practical physical side. I haven't heard from our friend uh, Ross for a while. I uh, started trying. He to just sent an email out actually so it looks like he's doing better so. Oh okay maybe it was because I yeah. prompted him last night to uh, get some <laughs> updates. All right good. Yes. So, so let's discuss your unconscious mental state. So yeah. last after our last discussion, I think I sh- I'm not sure if we've posted that one or not, but I shared that I realized that uh, one of my greatest fears was actually, um, I guess, disappointing or hurting my wife, and that uh-huh. I would engage in, um, frankly, manipulative tactics to try to avoid being blamed for that. Mm-hmm. either not right. doing things or trying to put her in a position where if something went wrong, it was clearly her fault. And that was not healthy. So I was working through confronting that. And I think you asked the question of what was your greatest fear? And we left you with that wonder. I was curious whether you've made any progress on that or had any other thoughts. Um, you know, I, uh, There's nothing that I that feels like it's a good way to complete the sentence. My greatest fear is, um, I think, uh, my realization that is that uh, at some deep core level, God is looking for us to simply be at rest and trust Him. And uh, I'm walking through a brother who's facing a crisis, uh, walking with a brother through a crisis he's facing, um, where God hasn't intervened yet and uh and sharing with him the faith god had in job to let job go through that and daniel joseph and you know other uh others in the scripture um and i i'm living now in the perspective that um things don't have to go my way for them to be the outworking of god's best for my life so uh, that's the framing of how I'm experiencing life right now. 
and uh, I'm not sure where they room for fear in that. That okay, I can think of, um, I think so. Um, I mean, I can see plenty of room, but we'll get to that later if, if you like. Um, one comment I want to follow up on, I think you mentioned that you realized that earlier you had a fear of not doing everything you can to fulfill God's mission or something like that. Right. You, right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'd be curious about if you've been open to unpacking that a bit more, because I'm pretty sure you would not have categorized that as a fear while you were living it. No, actually, I did. We had we said lunch with ah. a friend, and he said, "It's your greatest fear." I said, "This is my greatest fear." Uh, so that was what I recalled when you used that phrase. Okay, um, so that you were actually conscious of living in that fear for decades. Um, yeah, well, at least at that time, uh, you know, probably uh, I didn't I didn't think of it so much as a fear, you know, most of the time, but. Uh, uh, as an intent or a determination or a drivenness. But, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, did you want to explore any of these fears further, or shall I share some anecdotes from my side? Yeah, no, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm happy to just hear what you're thinking about. Okay. So, um, so I had some very good conversation with my wife. And one thing I was becoming conscious of and somewhat frustrated by was that I felt like she, uh, you know, having grown up in Indian culture and whatnot, is trapped by certain cultural conditionings. Mm-hmm. Where there's, like, you know, I come from a, I guess it's, it's really, even though she's been very American, she didn't really, like, I was raised as an immigrant. So as an immigrant, you know, America is the land of opportunity. Uh, there's sort of this expectation that you will make the most of yourself. Whereas my right. wife has a sort of more a traditional, even though she's very educated and very westernized in a lot of ways, uh, you know, a, a much more traditional. What I'm realizing in many ways is that she has internalized many traditional cultural values that right. uh, you know lurk beneath the surface and catch me off guard. And one of them is right. that like uh, you should be careful of trying to do too much, uh, which I would frame as sort of like knowing your place. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, I was kind of grappling with that and getting frustrated with the various versions of this. And my first, you know, uh, which I need to confess, my first frustration as well, it's really annoying that she is trapped by these cultural norms. Um, I'm so glad I've transcended them. I wish she could be like me. Uh, the second thought was, um, well, actually it's a good thing that she is connected to these cultural norms because I'm mostly oblivious to cultural norms. And so she is more deeply incarnated into that context. And so, uh, you know, for her to transcend them will be a more powerful incarnational testimony and revelation right. of what God's doing. But then the third thing that occurred to me was, well, actually, the fact that I am annoyed at her cultural norms, uh, which feel wrong to me, 
implies uh-huh. that I'm actually invisibly a slave to my own cultural norms and that the way sure. that she will get free of hers is by seeing me get free of mine rather than reacting uh-huh. to her from a position of uh, perceived moral superiority. Right. Right. And so this gets back to this issue of what is my greatest fear. Well, it is the thing that I just assume is part of my reality that I don't want to question. So it is not my greatest conscious fear, but it is the thing, it is the actual fear that controls me that I'm just barely able to see. And that's the thing that I need to work on next. And a, a interesting sort of cheat code for recognizing it is what is the thing I am proud of that is not Christ? That is not what? what is the, th- the thing that I am proud of that is not Christ? Or the thing that I feel makes me superior to other people? Yeah, okay. All right. So. Okay. You're pausing to let me. Uh, I'm, pa- I'm, I'm pausing interact. to let you interact with yeah. that. Or, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I identify a lot with what you're describing. Um, in this area of the microbiome, there are things that I'm learning that clash with uh, the cultural values Jackie has about uh, certain things. And uh, uh, the first reaction of, um, you know, wanting to help her get free from uh, her cultural values as uh, run through my mind. At the same time, I'm conscious that uh, it's not my place to try and change her thinking, um, but I can be loving and um, explore these things without needing to uh, resolve the tension between the way she looks at it and the way I'm looking at it. Um, and that we're we're both in God's hands in our health and other areas. There are some other um, things that uh, I've wanted to, that I've seen in terms of cultural, differences of cultural value that I've wanted to talk with her about in the past that I've relaxed about and uh, feel content to let God deal. I was just thinking through this this morning, uh, just the contentment to, that if and when God wants to deal with those, he's welcome to. If not, if you know, he prompts me at some point, if it comes up in conversation, that's fine. But then uh, they, when you talked about the things that uh, maybe a blindness to or whatever, I think that uh, I think uh, my biggest fear might be uh, of the things that I'm blind to that I can't see um, and that when others see them bring it to my attention, uh, I won't be receptive and responsive. Uh, so that's that's something I'm working on. Um, yeah, so I think that runs the gamut of the things that I thought about as you were talking. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I didn't quite catch that last sentence. I think it runs the gamut of the things I was thinking about as you were talking. 
Okay. And uh, sorry, did you get to the point of, I think you alluded to the idea that it is precisely the things that I am proud of myself that are not Christ are a good clue about where my actual fears lie, the things I don't yeah. want to question at a root. Right, and we could we could um, perceive those as things that we feel frustrated about in others, or that uh, we feel you know confident of ourselves in. I was also thinking as you're talking, Jamie um, Winship uh, said that for most people carry a belief. Remember our friend Jamie that we interviewed that uh, uh, everything depends on us, and we're not good enough, and. Uh, I think that, um, you know, dismantling that uh, goes a lot of different directions, but one is um, realizing we don't have to change and fix the people around us and the relationships around us, but we can be at rest in God and his love for the situation and his timing. Anyway, those are my... Sorry, and and... Uh, in what context were you bringing that up? Mm. As I'm reflecting on dynamics in our relationships in the home, frustrations not just between me and Jackie, but with our children, both directions toward us and between them and uh, toward, toward them. Hmm. So I've been a perfectionist trying to constantly prod things in the direction I thought they should go. And I'm trying to realize I don't know the timing and I'm probably not that accurate in terms of where things should go. And getting everybody to conform to my value system is um, both quality and uh, counterproductive. Okay. And therefore... Now relax and be at rest. uh, Huh. This is the second time you've brought that up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's significant. Okay. Uh, It's partly because I'm reflecting on the situation with my friend in Malawi who's had his car repossessed and given a week to come up with funds to uh, take care of it. modest amount from an American perspective, but um, Jackie and I aren't in agreement about helping him. And if we, even if we were, I'm not sure it'd be a good idea because I believe that God is wanting to demonstrate his love and power to this man in a way that transcends his ability to work things out. Uh, so that's a I, I right. There's, right. There's, there's something there that I feel like uh, I'm feeling some tension around. Okay. Is that I feel like you're saying the highest state is to be in this place of peace and rest. Um, yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking at this point. Is that uh, you want to challenge that idea or uh, question whether that's yeah. really what I'm well, no, I'm, 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 I, yeah, I want to question the idea. Like, like, I mean, because, I mean, literally, that to me, my mom, that's, that's saying that I wish I was dead. Um, 
to be in a place no. of perfect peace and rest. If the goal was to be a place of perfect peace and rest, that is literally to be, you know, depart and be in heaven with Jesus. Sure. That's the that's the that's the easy way out. <laughs> the challenge is to um, demonstrate faith by being at peace and rest and not trying to take control of things that God hasn't assigned to me uh, in this life. I think. I know that's what you think. Yeah. So you don't agree. You want to unpack that more? Sure. I'm waiting for you to ask me a question. Oh, okay. There was a question. <laughs> Do you want to unpack that more? Unpack that more. Is that the um, again? This is one of these things I don't know if I can explain it to you in words that make any sense to you. Um, what about what? What do you guess my position is? Let's start there. Um, well, we. Um, I'm not sure how this connects, but in the interaction, last interaction, and in the, um, texting back and forth, I think I've got the sense that you believe taking up the cross involves or daily involves a daily experience of the anguish. Uh, conflict between my will and the Father's will. Uh, how would you, how would you adapt that? Would is that? Yeah, yeah. Do you do you have the text? I don't have my phone on me because I think you you made two assertions that I accepted one and clarified the second. Yeah, sure. You could read those. That might be a useful. I think we actually did done the last uh, call, but yeah, let me get that. Um, I think we were after the last call, so I don't think I put them in the notes from last The first time. one was uh, okay, that identifying and confronting our emotional distress is essential for identifying our lack of alignment with the Father's will, and you said, I own that as written. Um, two, thus taking up our cross starts with pursuing awareness and confrontation of our emotional distress, which leads to yielding. And you said, for you, I believe that taking up your cross would require you to actually pursue becoming aware of and confronting the roots of your emotional distress because you've become addicted to a superficial yielding that does not result in emotional catharsis or true intimacy. Thank you. Yep. Did that uh, sufficiently unpack my statement or do you have further questions? Um, yeah, so uh, I think the discomfort you're feeling is, uh, this isn't a question, but it's, uh, for for your, uh, you know, where we're converging, I think your perspective is that um, I am still at a superficial level and not uh, experiencing uh, genuine uh, intimacy with the Lord um, and emotional catharsis. Interesting. Um, that you meant me I, think, to, uh, I, think, I think that's close. It, 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 I wasn't actually thinking of intimacy with God. 
Okay. Uh, I was primarily thinking in terms of experiential relational intimacy uh, with your family and even me. Okay. Uh, although uh, it is probably fair for you to infer that that also calls your that that my statement calls your intimacy with God into question or the level of your intimacy with God into question. Right. It seems to me that that's the most important place for intimacy. And if I get that with is with God, if I get that right, it will carry over. To I can imagine area. how it seems that way. Yeah. But you disagree, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, can you guess why I would disagree? Well, um, my mind jumps to the scripture, if you can't love your brothers that you have seen, how, how can you love God when you haven't seen? But maybe that's, something else comes. No, I think that, that probably says it better than I would have. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And so what do you think about that scripture? Well, no, actually, where it leads me is that uh, accepting uh, the people in my life for who they are rather than um, resenting or resisting or trying to shape them into what I think they should be, that if I, that that's a step toward accepting God for who he is and the way he runs the universe contrary to the ways that I would like, you know, I wouldn't leave my friend in Malawi hanging with his car and repossession and stream with his wife and uh, the other things that he's going through in now working at this. Um, but God, you know, I wouldn't put Joseph in prison for three years either, or don't know in the lion's den or uh, any of the other uh, horrific situations God allowed his people to be in through the scripture. Um, so accepting that this is the way God uh, works with those he trusts uh, and accepting that my family are who they are rather than um, fo focusing on who and what I want them to be and trying to prod them in that direction uh, seems like it's a convergence uh, that fits with that verse but uh, really you know, differently so, yeah. really could you, could you look up that verse I'm actually curious of the context uh, sure. uh, and it's Christian four twenty. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Or whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Could you read some of the context around that, either before or after? Uh, for what they did say. Uh, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us the spirit. Uh, well, before that, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So then, this is how we know that we live in him, he in us, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. 
if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of oh, sorry. God. Sorry. sorry. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Let me pause there because I want to miss sure, make sure that. Could you go back to begin that verse and read that because I want to make sure I'm hearing you clearly. Um, the first verse I read. Well, let's see. Uh, what verse you're reading? Just start back at the beginning of the verse, or the one right before it. The the oh the verse I started with. Whoever claims to love God, it hates his brother. No, I think and about the about sent. There there was something about the word sent. That verse. If you could start from the beginning of that verse, that would help me. Thank you. Um, okay. So start with that verse or the one before it. The the verse that has sent in it is fine. Yeah, okay. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Okay, keep going. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. A perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And then the verse that we started with, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us his, this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There was a verse in there about Jesus coming in the flesh. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Well, this is an the. They didn't mention the flesh. I just did a search on flesh and came up with an earlier verse. This is how we can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Um, but that wasn't part of what I'd read earlier. Interesting. So, so uh, I heard you, I, I could have sworn I heard you quote that even if by accident, which was interesting. No, that, that was right at the beginning of the chapter. I hadn't scrolled that far up. Interesting. I don't know why I heard that. The, uh, the, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit reminds us of Scripture. So. Yeah, so we'll, let's go with that, right? So this is the interesting paradigm that um, I think defines what it means to love like God. And for lack of a better term, let me call that incarnation. Okay. is I would argue in this passage, what love looks like is incarnation. Mm -hmm. And that what I heard you say is there's two things that seem clearly, there's one thing that seems clearly unhealthy, which is to try to fix people. Mm -hmm. And so to step back from that is good. 
Duquesne. Um, is that a fair summary of your position, or am I missing something? Uh, no, I agree with all that, and I I, yeah. can, I think where you're going, I think I agree that that puts us in a position then where we can. Um, but go ahead. No, go ahead. I want to hear what you said. What 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 you're inferring? Well, that that um, brings us into a position where um, we so we can hold tension rather than needing to prematurely resolve it, and in that tension, out of a place of rest in God, we can be uh, vulnerable without being needy, and create a context where God can work in the lives of those around us. You know, probably ways similar to what we, uh, or in some cases anyway, some ways similar to what we think needs to happen, but at his initiative and timing, and uh, with deepening relationship instead of increasing strain in relationship. No, actually. All right. <laughs> so, when I read incarnation, uh-huh. I read Jesus coming to earth and becoming a man and getting into fights with the Pharisees and getting into fights with Peter and experiencing every grief and sorrow that we did, uh, except perhaps shame over sin until the cross. And that the, yes, there is a phase where it is useful to step back from being entangled in the situation to be able to look at the situation with clarity from a distance. But that is not the goal. That is death. Death has its place. Death is awesome. I'm in favor of it. But death is not life. And the goal of life is to actually live it and to submit ourselves to the messy slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that uh, disrupts our emotional equilibrium. In fact, it is precisely the fact that these things disrupt our emotional equilibrium that allows us to identify with people in their suffering and then by turning to Christ to overcome that emotional distress, that we actually can help them the right way. It's fascinating. I had this discussion with uh, my, one of my engineers this morning who loves to mm-hmm. just like be the guy in the center who's fixing everything. It's like, great, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. You're really valuable for that. But that's not healthy uh, long-term for the organization because you become the, the – and. Stop me if you haven't seen this before, uh, where the person who's really good at doing things ends up doing things and nobody else actually grows into being able to do them. Right. I've, uh, I've been there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, therefore, the alternative is not to completely disengage from a perspective of outsider. What I, what I told them was, that the the role I would like you to take on is exemplar, is at least one of the roles to try to experiment with, is that when you see people doing a wrong thing, rather than going in and fixing it for them, or just standing by and letting them smash headlong into a cliff, 
you say, ah, what is the thing that they don't believe is possible that's making them act this way? And how do I demonstrate to them how that is possible so that they are inspired to do better? And okay. that is precisely how I think of Christ, uh -huh. is that what Christ went through, and he did many things on earth, but I'm going to stick my neck out and say the crucifixion, the passion, as we discussed an episode or two ago, is the thing that is most paradigmatically profound about what it means to be Christ. And that to the extent we enter into other people's lives and take on their sin, that is what it means to love like Christ. And the, uh, the, the passage you accidentally quoted uh, says to deny that this is Christ is to miss the whole point. Uh, okay, so let me see if I um, to uh, okay. I'm not sure what uh, the the this is Christ and he got that. So the the, the idea that Jesus came at, in the flesh. He didn't just come as a disembodied spirit to float around and observe what was happening and offer sage advice. He came in the flesh to suffer what we suffered. Mm -hmm. And that that is central to being Christ. So uh, uh, what strikes me out of our recent conversations is what's central, or what strikes me as central from our recent conversation is that um, Christ modeled what it means to yield to the Father. And as you sorry, were talking sorry, about, sorry. Uh, yes, yielded to the Father, right. Yes, in the that, context, right, right, okay. Sorry, keep going. And that, and that um, when he described what he did, he said, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father speaking. And yes. that this, that to me, this is the, the goal to become like Christ in this, of being in yep. with, with God hearing and seeing what he's doing and acting out of that rather than out of my reactions to things that make me uncomfortable or that conflict with my value system or, or whatever. And that's a much more simplistic, uh, perhaps, or uh, naive than what you're describing, but that, that's my simple view at this point. So here's the interesting question then. When Jesus went to the cross, what do you think he saw his father doing? Um, well, I, in the terms of what I was describing with my friend, trusting Jesus, uh, like I trusted Job, uh, and he trusted many others through the scripture. To was that what was... Sorry. So was that what Jesus was doing on the cross? Well, you didn't let me finish my sentence. What oh, sorry. Was, okay, I think, apologize. What did you think I was going to say from that? Um, 
I, um, I'm not sure. I should let you finish. I'm sorry. Uh, that uh, God was trusting Jesus to continue trusting him uh, through this process of taking all the weight of the sin of the whole world on himself. And so God, you asked what Jesus saw the Father doing. Um, what I mm-hmm. think the Father was doing was trusting Jesus to be able to go through this without denying him and to complete the mission God had given to Jesus, uh, taking upon himself the sins of the whole world. So what do you what do you think Jesus saw the Father doing? I think you quoted the verse, Jesus can only do what he sees the Father doing. Uh-huh. So the agony that Christ felt of separation from God, I believe Jesus had already seen the Father experience that in the creation of the world. I mean, the way I phrase mm-hmm. it is that what, what God the Son did on Good Friday, God the Father had been doing for all of created time, mm-hmm. of bearing the agony of this world. And that was the most perfect picture of God. Not the only picture, but the most perfect picture of God, which is radically different than our Neoplatonist vision of God, of a God who floats above it all. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to love like God. It's to hold that tension, to feel everyone else's agony even more than they feel it themselves. Right. So, I think what you're wanting to hear and not hearing in the way I'm describing my current state is the feeling of concern and care and agony for those around me or those I love or whoever that is hurting themselves in without trying to, well, now I'm adding my part, without trying to rush in and rescue from my perspective, but trying to enter into the agony that Christ had and hear and see what the Father is doing and align myself with that. Yeah. Is that what what seems to be missing in how I'm The short answer is that, no, I mean, like, I think your answer is is reasonably plausible. Like, specifically it is, you've described two phases. I'm asking you to add a third. The first phase is I see people's pain and I want to fix it. The second phase, which is vitally important, is I step back from fixing the, from focusing on their pain, trying to focus on God's bigger picture and get to a place of peace. But then the third phase is to incarnate into the situation so that I feel the very thing that I did not want to feel, right? The reason I want to fix other people's pain is so I can still be in relationship with them, but not have to feel that thing. Mm-hmm. And to say that it's like, okay, this is this is Christ is to enter into people's pain. And I guess there's a fourth phase after that, which is 
to then encounter Christ in a way that transforms the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, this is the, the thing that I have rarely, if ever, seen from you is those last two phases. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm yet capable of them, but uh, maybe I'm moving that direction. And then at least talking about them gives me a framework to be aware of that possibility. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still at a place where I, I struggle not to uh, doubt that God's going to intervene, and so I feel like I need to. Um, and that's a very unhealthy uh, place, it seems to me. So here, this is where I would disagree with you. Okay. Is that I realize things, is you think it's a pull backwards, and I'm arguing it's actually a pull forward. You just need to turn around. Right? It's like, okay, this person's really hurting. I need to step back and be at peace. Okay, that's true. Plus, they're still hurting. I feel like I need to do something. Yes. You absolutely should do something, but don't go back to doing the thing you did before. Go on to the next thing. Okay, so back to my friend in Malawi. Um, My my first response to his financial distress is to say, Daddy, we've got money in the bank that we could take care of this. What do you think? He says, I think there are other people that should do that and that we shouldn't and processing this and praying for him and with him uh, I recognize that I worry that he's not going to come through uh, that God's not going to come through in this situation although I, I so I've, I've had this competing sense one is if if I intervene or somebody else that he's asked for help intervenes then it doesn't strengthen his faith that God is aware and capable of meeting his needs. It's right. this pattern of, you know, needing to ask people for help. Um, whereas, and I've walked through this experience my first year and a half in ministry. I sure. determined to not tell anybody my needs and pray things in. And there's a tremendous period of learning how to come to a place of trust without the circumstance, unsupported by circumstances or by mm-hmm. visible circumstances, right? Um, yes. And I believe that's a very powerful and helpful place for anybody in the world, but particularly those who are in ministry and those who have uh, uh, support sure. through donations or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, I, uh, one hand, uh, so uh, anyway, I'm walking with this brother through this and praying mm-hmm. with him, praying for him, and passing on scriptures and thoughts as they come. Uh, so I'm not right. just withdrawing and leaving it, and I'm not doing what I've done before, which would be to push Jackie to change her mind. Uh, okay. And I think that this is the healthy place for me right now in this context. Um, as an not working, I think, of what you're talking about, but... Um, uh, I'm not experiencing the daily distress. Of, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm denying myself my impulse to generosity to just meet his need. Uh, and I, you know, I do think about James 
if your brother is hungry or doesn't feed me, say, be warm and be filled, you know. Uh, is that good? But I don't think that's what God's saying to me. Uh, so, anyway, um, so, is it, so sorry. As I, I describe that context, um, what do you feel an impulse to try and fix it? Me? <laughs> no, so I was trying to understand the point you were making. Because I thought the well, context was, is you feel this temptation to go back into the first phase of trying to fix uh-huh. things. And it, but yeah. it sounds like when you described it, it sounds like you're saying, no, actually, it sounds like you've worked through that. And even though there's tension and it's frustrating, you have sort of a meta piece about holding that tension. That's why I'm, right. I'm just confused. So is this an example well, of what you were describing or am I missing something? Yeah, well, I'm describing this because I think it fits with what you're urging me toward that I'm actually practicing, but I just haven't given you examples of how that's working out. Uh, so, well, so like, related- like I said, if, so sorry, so I don't, if, if this, let me give you a two classes of things just to make sure I'm clear what you're saying. Class A uh-huh. is I try to fix the problem, or I have this urge to fix the problem, I pull back and I, and I go to a place of peace and I'm really there, uh, and I feel class B is I want to fix the problem. I realize I shouldn't pull fix the problem. I pull back, and um, I feel this thing tugging me uh, to re-engage, and that disturbs my peace. Are you describing a class A or a class B? Is this more, are you describing a class A situation or a class B situation? Um, I'm not sure I would put it in those terms. So uh, there wasn't a gap between, uh, there was an overlap rather than a gap of this piece you're talking about. Uh, I There wasn't a point at which I was simply at peace and not concerned for my friend in Malawi. Um, uh, my concern, but the concern is expressed differently. So the concern uh, has been for what God wants to accomplish in the situation. And that actually came out before I even talked with Jackie about, you know, we could meet his need. Right. Uh, when I presented that to her, I said, you know, but I think God may be is doing something deeper in his life and, and uh, might not be better. And you were able anybody. to hear that, and you're, you're, I mean, you, agree, you more or less agreed with that. So it could I, very I well be. I'm saying I said that to her when I presented the oh, situation okay. to her. Right. Okay. So it could very well be that you are at peace about the situation in a healthy way, and there is no unresolved tension that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel I feel some distress for him in an apathetic way. I think uh, having been okay. through a number of parallel. So, so, so here's an interesting possibility for you to consider. So I'm totally open to the possibility that you're handling it correctly. Okay, uh-huh. but if there's some unresolved distress, here is the third way I would suggest uh, exploring it. It's easy okay. to look at the areas you already have victory over and say, wow, I just wish she could be like me and be at peace in this. Uh, I don't know if that's what you're doing, but I'm saying that is an easy thing to do in these circumstances, because I certainly do it all the time. And 
there's an alternate way of looking at that and saying, oh, if I'm feeling something here, if I, then maybe there's something else going on that I don't have victory over. And that's like the beginning of things at the beginning. Like, oh, my wife doesn't have victory over cultural norms. Why should I, 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 let me pray that she becomes like me versus, huh, there's something else going on here different than what I thought. What is the thing that I might not actually have as much victory over as I thought that would actually help me identify with my friend in their suffering? That's what I mean by the third phase. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, uh, I think I identify with my friend in his uh, suffering because I've experienced something, but I also recognize that he's married and has kids, which I didn't have when I was uh, living this way initially, although you know, I've had since married and had kids and God's faithfully provided and I haven't stressed about, uh, you know, I've never felt a, an anxiety, although I think my wife has at times about mm -hmm. uh, whether God was going to provide or how he was going to provide. Um, in fact, I, I haven't sent this part yet, but I wrote to Ruben, I'm frequently thinking of, praying, of and praying for you and your wife. Here's what I'm sensing today. When God displays his faith in a person like Job or you, it may be hardest on the spouse. May God sustain both you and your wife through this. I was single so and I worked through it. Ooh. So let me explore that concept with you a bit further. Okay. Right. So from personal experience, uh, there's worrying about what happens to me there's worrying about what happens to other people and there's worrying about how other people will relate to me based on what happens to them. And that was the thing I was addressing at the top of the episode was that my deepest unresolved fear um, was that uh, that something would go wrong. My wife would blame me and she would be correct. Mm -hmm. And that's why I had to confront that because that was the thing that I had, that was the thing so horrible I had been subconsciously avoiding thinking that thought and that led me to act out in various ways, which looked very religious and spiritual, but were actually self-protective and manipulative. Right. And so this is an interesting thing to think about. Okay, if things go wrong for your friend, how might he feel? And is there a part of you that uh, dreads that feeling? For myself or for him? For yourself. Um, not that I can, I mean, I, I can imagine, certainly imagine him feeling abandoned uh, or forsaken by God. Um, I, you know, don't connect with that possibility of feeling that myself at this yeah, stage. No, I, I don't think that, was the, that wasn't the thing I was talking about. 
Okay, I misunderstood you there. Yeah, is that if things go bad and his wife feels that he failed her, right? how do you think he would feel? And can you relate to that feeling? Uh, yeah, I can relate to that. I think, uh, Jack, you know, as I follow through on things I think God wants me to do, there are certainly times where uh, Jaggy feels I've made serious mistakes, or um, and in some cases she's probably right. Although uh, I don't think it's ever a mistake to do what I think God wants me to do, um, but I certainly uh-huh. think about what He wants me to do. If you followed that distinction, right? So I think the, the, which is interesting, given your earlier comments. What you said your greatest fear was? Oh, my! What previously my greatest fear was? Yeah, not doing everything Jesus had prepared in advance for me to do, or God prepared in advance for me to do. Right. So, from that perspective, it's certainly never a mistake to do what you think God wants you to do. Well, I just as a heuristic. But but you just said never. You made it an absolute rule. No, I'm so saying, you can't yeah. water it down to a heuristic now. It's like no, I think I, you actually said that. So then let's ask the no, question: yeah. When is it? So when is it a mistake to do what God to do what you think God wants you to do? I, I don't think it's ever a mistake for somebody to. I mean, it, it's exactly. a mistake in what? It's a mistake in the sense that. You can be mistaken about what God wants you to do. We had a situation just a couple of days ago with my daughter where she believed God wanted her to not do something that her mom wanted her to do. And so there was, you know. So is uh, it a heuristic or is it an absolute rule? Pick one. Um, well, so I would say that uh, as long as you're conscious that you may be wrong about what God wants you to do. It is important to do what you think God wants you to do and be open. I mean, I, I don't think it's good to do whatever we think God wants us to do without being open to the possibility that we're wrong. And my daughter was, you know, she was asking me, do you think I'm right in this after the tension developed? And I think that's a healthy place. And I, I affirm her in doing what she thinks God wants, even though I don't think she was doing what God wants, right? So, so yeah, I think yeah, I think each of us should, uh, and hopefully that uh, it incorporates the submit yourself to one another. It's kind of you know lived out in the context of that scripture and uh, uh, recognition that we're not perfect and we need uh, one another to assess what God wants us to do. But uh, yeah, I think doing anything other than what you think God wants us to do certainly seems to me wrong. Um, Paul writes in Romans, anything that's not from faith. Are you still there? Are you you speaking? Can you hear me now? uh, Let me just switch outside. Um, Make sure I have a good connection. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. I've been hearing you. I mean, I haven't been aware of your absence, so. No, no, not exactly. 
Um, I think the short answer is your actions scream so loud, I'm having trouble hearing your words. So is there a time that you think it's good not to do what you think God wants you to do? Can you think of a case where that could illustrate what you're saying? So the operational reason the, the way I look at it is that doing what God, what you believe God wants you to do is the best epistemic choice because that gives you the more, the, the best information about whether you are correct or not in hearing God. So from that one dimension, I totally agree it is the best thing to do, you know, what you believe God wants you to do. Um, the corollary of that is that if you're doing something that God wants you to do, where there's no closed feedback loop, uh, can actually be quite dangerous. Yeah, well, I think that's the same thing I was saying, maybe in different words. Um, like I said, I, the, yeah. uh, the, the, your actions were screaming so loud, it was hard for me to focus on your words. Uh, so here's a recent example. I friend contacted me about some business opportunity for the startup that he wanted me to invest in. And I first I brushed it off and I was trying to look at this. Uh, he persisted. I looked at it and said, oh, I think this is, you know, probably worth uh, the little bit of investment he's asking. So I talked to Jackie about it. We looked at it and she agreed to limited uh, involvement. But as I talked with him further, I thought I could go a little deeper. And I proposed that to her, and she said, okay, you're getting too caught up in this. You need to let go of it. And I, you know, processing it into personally, I felt like uh, I think God would want me to do this. But I also think he wants me to submit to one another in our marriage. And so I dropped it. Right. So uh, I'm doing what I'm doing, what God wanted, what I felt like God wanted in terms of submitting to my wife and not doing what I felt like God wanted in terms of investing in this uh, situation. So and the same thing with my friend in Malawi, you know, I would want to help him. Uh, and I think God would want me to help him if I wasn't in a marriage where we were in disagreement about that. So I'm at a place where. Uh, I actually have competing sense of what God wants, and that's being ruled. And maybe this is, you know, uh, in some measure, the denying myself part of that. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily. Um, but is that is that uh, feedback loop different from what you're describing or thinking about, or is that good? Did, did you hear what I said right before you launched into that story? Well, my actions scream so loud that uh, I you can't hear what I'm saying. Right. What do you think so I was referring it? to? Uh, actually, I have no clue. So uh, okay. help me. And at least for the record, I can go back and listen. What are the actions? Yeah. And this is the uh, one of the things that often triggers me is I ask a question and then you.
Like, did you hear my question? Yes. Did you know what I meant? No. So why did you give me that answer? This is what I mean by your action screaming so loud that I distrust your words. Okay. Is that I feel like there are things I've pointed out to you that are beliefs you hold that are contrary to scripture. And you say, oh, that could probably, that might be true. And then you just go on doing whatever it is you were doing before. I never see any sign of concern or repentance because your priority is staying in this place of peace and calm rather than actually engaging deeply with these difficult, hard issues. And that's why when you say doing what God wants you to do, I interpret that through the lens of, well, if I feel comfortable with it, then I will do it. And if I don't, then I won't. And God is a convenient abstraction rather than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sent him to earth and to the cross. And, you know, it feels to me like that's actually your greatest fear. No, I'm sorry, the greatest fear is what? Is actually encountering God as he is rather than the convenient abstraction that you use to justify your actions. Mm -hmm. And there are several simple exercises you could do to prove me wrong. All right. Do you want to uh, list some for the record? Sure. One was this thing we discussed way back many times before is writing, writing a letter to your younger self. And okay. picking the right self is a little bit of effort, but... Um, uh, the second one is asking your wife what it is she thinks you fear. Mm, okay. That, uh, uh, that would be, I can do that. Would you like it recorded? Um, if she's up for it, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, she, maybe give her some time to think about it. Um, yeah. Um, The third, I guess, is we could do a, you know, pause reflection or pray reflection on one of these passages that actually talks about Christ's uh, suffering, whether directly in the Gospels or indirectly in the Epistles. And see what comes up. Because it's entirely possible that my resentment towards you is also revealing something here that I have not fully processed around with God. Uh, yeah. I'm doing better, but uh, it's definitely not fully resolved. Uh, my so current, you, yeah, today's. You, you use the word resentment. Is that a conscious feeling that you can that you actually identify? Um, resentment towards. I mean, I would say that I would. It, it's a conscious inference. Okay. The you know, level of emotional, I mean, what does it mean to be conscious of a feeling? Uh, is that yeah. just a pattern matching uh, that we've associated over time between words and feelings? Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. Right. But, you know, I, I certainly uh, there are emotions I feel deeply, 
and there are emotions uh-huh. that I perceive myself as having by my actions. Okay. Yeah. This is more in the latter. Okay. So I guess I'm getting a bit more visceral. Yeah. Even speaking it out actually helps make it more visceral, interestingly enough. Uh, well, I, I, if I can ask a follow-up question, is this a, sure. a occasional um, sense you have of resentment that I'm just not getting it, maybe, or uh, is it a chronic condition that we're uh, maybe hopefully slowly resolving through these extended conversations? Is it a question um, that makes the, No, that's a fair question. The feeling of resentment is occasional. The belief that you appear to be clueless of the nature of the cross is a chronic, is a thing that has been slowly growing over the last year or two uh, and only really, I guess, erupted in full-blown consciousness in the course of some of our more recent phone calls over the last several months. And I am encouraged and appreciative that we're able to agree on some meaningful terminology to discuss it. But Uh as I alluded to in the Dilbert cartoon, which I may attach to the the podcast, the the fact that I'm able to get you to agree makes me doubt whether I've actually made real progress. Uh, But (laughs) as I say with philosophy, like philosophy is good in the negative sense of clearing the desk, clearing the deck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I pushed back because I wasn't sure what we might have agreed on, but um, I I do. A question comes to mind as you're talking. Do you think that uh, Peter's experience of the cross is the same as John's experience? And if not, what are the differences? Um, uh, as the parallel to our situation would be, do you think? Uh, I may be experiencing it differently and still having legitimate experience, or do I need to experience it the way you're experiencing it because that's the only way it can be experienced? I mean, I go back to, I believe Jesus is paradigmatic. This is, this is okay. literally the cross I will die on. Is right. that whatever Jesus went through in his passion is the thing that to the extent we do it, we are accomplishing his purpose on earth. And to the extent we're not experiencing what he experienced, we're just playing religious games. Uh-huh. Right. We're following Jesus the rabbi or Jesus the saint, not Jesus the crucified one, the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay. If we don't understand the cross, we don't understand anything meaningful about who God really is. And uh, uh, so my Let's see. My perception is that Jesus, Jesus' experience of the cross in Gethsemane was different from the intensity, at least, of his experience of it in anticipation when he was started telling the disciples what was going to happen to him. Um, do we agree that far? Yeah, I think I said that before Jesus embraced the cross of Gethsemane, he reacted in a human way to the cross. Right. Just like we always do. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my perhaps faulty perception, but I, it seems reinforced when uh, we 
texted back and forth about this, is that you believe our daily taking up the cross um, relates to daily experiencing the kind of distress Jesus had at Gethsemane, the same intensity, because no human can live through that intensity, but that uh, daily taking up the cross, you believe I mean, that's basically true, right? Is that so I shared at the beginning of this episode that I realized that my invisible attachment to my culture is because there is a cross there I don't want to bear, is that I don't want to have to unpeel all that layer because it's a very convenient digital abstraction layer and has many side benefits of making me feel superior and emotionally detached from the world around me. And to... Uh, delve into that is something that will require significant investment of emotional energy. I don't know how much, uh, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, if my daily, if my typical daily practice is, is a one and the worst crucifixion I've experienced is a nine, then this is probably a three or a four. Uh, you okay. know, the worst I experienced was when I, when I was fired for the second time and you know, felt right. like I had just spent my entire life chasing a chimera and everyone hated me because of it. Um, uh-huh. And God himself was, you know, not who I thought he was. That was out of my mind. Um, and so, yeah. He's all, like, this is what it means to be a Christian. Every day I'm trying to figure out what is the thing that is keeping me from manifesting Christ and identifying with the pain and suffering of the people around me. Um, and then, you know, own it and chip away at it and get better at recognizing it, get better at processing it, get better at articulating it. Like, that's what I actually think it means to be a, to come after Jesus. Yeah, okay. So that's a key phrase, uh, identifying with the, uh, Distress of, um, I, you didn't use the word distress there, but identifying with uh, the pain and suffering of the people around me. Is that the way you phrased it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I'm not sure what that would mean beyond what I'm currently doing as I watch my daughter and wife have tension the other day, available to talk with them uh, and had some conversation without trying to fix them, but just as a sounding board um, and praying for them and, you know, wanting that to work out. Um, uh, maybe I can, uh, I probably have tons of room to grow in uh, identifying with them, but is that at least moving in the direction that you're that's phase two. That is not phase three. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, and part of my problem is uh, not seeing or not, I don't know, uh, blindness or deafness to um, how this works out, how what you're describing uh, can or should work out 
in my life, my uh, uh, um, framework perception is that uh, the intensity of distress will vary from day to day and may be unnoticeable at times. Um, and I don't know if Sorry. that's I, just so I, I think I've made this clear. I'll say it again is that okay. in the steady state, when you've worked through your backlog, there will be uh, a power law distribution. I believe you okay. have a massive, enormous backlog based on your traumatic childhood, that once you start dealing with it, it will be obvious to everyone, and it will take you a significant period of time to get back to any sort of normal equilibrium. That is my so I have, I have had thoughts of reaching out to the uh, ladies at face-to-face -face ministries uh, to share with them what I did, you know, that video I distilled and shared with you, ask for permission, but also express this. Uh, I'm not having the, uh, this experience with Jesus the way Carl describes it. Um, uh, can you help me? Um, I'm in a situation where I don't think my wife would agree to the normal key structure. Um, uh, do you have I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's the right modality for you. All right. Um, I'll, the uh, the thing that I've felt drawn toward is practicing what they what they he described of uh, ten minutes a day, morning and evening, having this um, reliving a positive emotional experience, inviting Jesus to show me where he is in that. And as Carl says, this is a consistent way to have a tangible experience uh, with Jesus. Um, you're also saying, I'm imagining. I mean, if you actually try it and Jesus, if you actually uh, see Jesus, then sure, uh, right? If uh, you end up yeah. the same as you are now, then like, you know, like the, the, they, they, this is where something more like heart sync, which is actually about uh -huh. trying to uncover the things is more directive. But I think okay. in your case, it would be more likely to, I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt to try it right. like everything else. Like if, if there's a closed loop, if you try it and it doesn't work, then, you know, right. give it some period of time and say, okay, this is not sufficient. Yeah. I need to do something else. And anyway, I gave you three things that I thought would actually not be guaranteed to help, but have a high likelihood of at least moving the ball forward. So I think the three things were, one is writing a letter to my former self. Uh, one mm -hmm. is inviting Jackie to talk with me about what she thinks my biggest fear is. And mm -hmm. one is doing study with you, uh, uh, you know, a, a prayer, uh, uh, a DBS or, or a DBJ, or however we want to do it. Around so reflective seven. reflective uh, uh, devotional yeah. group yeah, on, on some aspect of Christ's passion. Okay. Yeah, well, um, uh, I, you know, I, I've tried and started a few times the letter to my former self and just, uh, I mean, I, I could, I could write the kinds of things I'm writing to my friend in Malawi. Um, yeah, but, but no, I think there's a, I think, I think, so once you do the number two first of talking to Jackie, and yeah. then after that, maybe we can try to figure out how to frame the letter to your younger self to maximize its chance of meaningful success. Right, okay. 
Good. Well, that uh, at least gives me something constructive to pursue, uh, practical, and uh, appreciate that. So, Thank uh, you. I appreciate your willingness to, to walk this journey. Uh, I think it is very hard, and, um, you know, my own disruption <laughs> gets in the way. Uh, I think I think it's hard for you. I'm, I'm not, uh, it's not causing me any distress, but it seems to be causing No, no, that, 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 that's, that's the point. Right, is that right. I need to feel the right level of distress and get to phase four of surrendering to Jesus for me to feel like this is actually real work. Right, if it's just banding about words, then I feel like I'm cheating. And it's not going to actually work. Yeah. It's like it's like right. uh, doing a daily workout. Like if you do the workout at a low enough intensity level, but you don't break a sweat, you know, yeah, you're going through the motions, but it's not actually accomplishing anything of value. I right. uh, need to press into that at the right level yeah. and get to face yeah. more of surrendering it to Jesus. For and I think that's the thing that will actually help me speak the truth in a way that you can hear it. That will get us to yeah. where God wants us to go. All right. But well, you want to close by praying for me, or sure. let me know how to pray for you. Yeah, God, I just thank you for, for Robbie. I thank you for his willingness to walk this journey with me and help me to think through and talk through what I'm experiencing. God, the cry of our heart is to be disciples of Jesus who actually do what you've told us to do, everything you've commanded us to do, loving our neighbor as ourselves, uh, loving one another as you've loved us, loving our enemies, and loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and making disciples who do the same. And Lord, we just cry out for courage and perseverance to work through the crosses you set before us so that we can become whole people, that we can wholly love our wives, and that we can help the whole earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 All right. Thanks. I'll be traveling a bit, uh, so probably talk to you later in the week. All right. Yeah, mid December, right. we're going to be traveling for three weeks. So squeeze step in before then. All right.